hit that again. And for those of you that are on the podcast, you'll know why. Streaming to you live from the Badlands of Texas, you're listening or you're watching Midnight Radio. Thank you all for joining me. My friends, I appreciate it. I'd like to give a big birthday shout out to Hot Ham Radio. Happy buffet day, girl. You told us how old you are. I didn't know if you slipped that in. I told everybody in the back chat. (laughs) Guys, here's what I need from you right now. I need a poll. I need to put a poll up in the chat room. So any of you guys that have an idea about a poll, put it down in there. Robomodel picked the best one. And we're going to have a poll. Matter of fact, I want about four or five of them today. I'm starting to enjoy polls. Oh, watch out. You know, a couple things I want to talk about. First, I, I didn't quite finish my Doberman story the other day. I didn't. There's two aspects I didn't tell you about it. My father... He was, he didn't care. We would come in from school and he would, his uh, job left, left out a little earlier than we did. So he'd be there on the couch, you know, he, he was always, all I ever saw of the fa- my father was like the back of his head, you know, because he would sit on this old raggedy couch that was on the right side of our living room and he'd always have his arm thrown up over his head. And the only thing that we could see would be the back of his head, you know, as he watched his mash or whatever television show. My father was a major television junkie. PBS documentaries, his favorite. We'd come in with our pants ripped up all the way to the back of our underwear bands. And he, he would, you know, he'd have his arm up like that. And then he'd turn around. I was like, what's going on? And then he would look and he would see that our pants were ripped. And he'd be, <laughs> my father had this one laugh. you ripped your pants off oh that's a good one you know but there's real life consequences to having your your pants ripped off by doberman you know especially when you're kids you don't have that many pants left you know he already ripped two earlier that week and you're like what the hell am i gonna wear i have to wear some shorts here in december i mean what's going on i remember one day i you know i got home no incident I was sitting there in the living room. My dad was there, you know, watching MASH or whatever it was. The evening news on the couch, and my brother walked in, you know. My brother came in, and my brother's three years older than me, but about, he looked like he was three years younger because I'm a much bigger man than him. My brother came in, and he had these big, you know, funky glasses that were always crooked. He came in, there all crooked, you know, on his head. You know, and his hair was all sticking up and his pants were hanging off of his ass. <laughs> we were we were dying out laughing. Well, it wasn't long before the dog grew out of that, so it was just that aspect of the stories. It's hilarious true stories here on Midnight Radio. We are gonna go over some very darker stories. We had questions. We had questions about a mother that could end the life of her children because of some mental I don't, I don't know if you should call it a defect. A lot of it has to do with postpartum, but it has to do with hormones. I'm not qualified to say what causes it. But to imagine when she came to the realization of, I just took the lives of my children. Well, we have footage of her in court today. We're going to look at it together. I want to look at the whole thing. I'll open the phone lines. We can talk about it. Let's see what else we're going to talk about today. 
a lot. Everything that you guys see on that thumbnail, let me pull it up. Let me pull it up. Everything right now. Uh, Nicola Bully. We got. I got a lot of information on her case today. Just a simple missing woman's case. Turns out it might not be as simple. And then, of course, there's uh, there. Her name is Lindsay Clancy. They call her the Duxbury mother. The Duxbury mom. There's been there's new pictures of Gabby Petito that are out. There's a picture, and there is some great significance to that. We're going to discuss that tonight, and we're going to go over uh, something I found from Zana Carnoodle from her sister, and it it brought up some new thoughts in my mind. I want to share that with you guys tonight on Midnight Radio. Before I dig into the, this first story, and I want to go with. Uh, Nicola Bully. And I want to say something about T-Rev, the T-Rev episode we have a couple nights ago because somebody contacted me and they were complaining about, um, they were complaining about the, the title of it. Let me look. I don't see if I even remember the, the title of it. Let me look here. The title of it was... I was like, what is this person? What is this person on about? The title of the T-Rev episode. Oh, it, it had Chris Cuomo on it, and it had T-Rev on the right side, and Chris Cuomo was saying Chris Cuomo, which I can't, I can't ever pass up a good Chris Cuomo meme. It says that son of a. Then has T-Rev looking up at him. That's in reference to an incident when they were on air together, and. I put that up there to begin with, and T-Rev told me what happened behind the scenes. I'm like, that's exactly what happened, how he was clowning you about your hat. That's what that's for. But anyway, the title of it was, Did He Manipulate His Audience? Somebody came at me, one of his fans, no doubt, someone who used to be a fan of mine, but I doubt that too. How could you have that title? That's so misleading. And I thought, well, what the hell is this person talking? Well, first of all, I can tell you didn't watch the video, but the title made you come over here. Like, what, what is the title? I don't remember. Did he manipulate his audience? Question mark. Uh, yeah, it was a question. And if you watch the show, then it would be answered by the man himself. What is your problem? Go troll somewhere else. Guys, I don't have a problem with T-Rev. He doesn't have a problem with me. My show brought him more viewers while he was on a seven-day suspension. Look at the show. I don't have a problem with T-Rev. I'm glad he came on the show to explain some things. Uh, the video was because my community here had questions about it. And we were, as we do here, we take a topic, we search it. And this one, thank goodness, we got answers. Now, now here's what I think about the situation, because perhaps I wasn't clear before. Here's what I think. Regardless of the way T-Rev handled the situation of the call, I'm not making comments about that because I don't, I'm not. Because this is more important. The man that called in on him was a troll. Absolutely, unequivocally. And I've zero respect for trolls. And I'll tell you why I think he's a troll. So you have T-Rev. I had two different sources. One was T-Rev. Tell me. 
that he was on live for 16 hours that day. Then you had that guy come in. So this subject that T-Rev was talking about was very important to him. This guy comes on on there and says, yeah, you know, I work with people from that, that, what is it, sorority, fraternity? And I've had about 10 of them come and ask me how to kill somebody. Really? Total troll move. He was trolling him. Whatever happened after that, I don't care. But that guy was a troll. And the story goes, he didn't answer his calls. And then when he did, he answered it to true to Hidden True Crime. And he trolled T-Rev on Hidden True Crime. That's a fact. So I got two facts in my mind that this guy is a troll. I zero respects for trolls spent get a different hobby go somewhere else if there's a video you don't like go somewhere else simple as that so whatever happened with the call other than that uh what t-rev talked about it how much time he talked about it jerry doesn't care jerry doesn't respect trolls jerry doesn't tolerate trolls there's a zero troll policy here i think we have a better chat room and a better community for it so that's where i stand i meant to say that a uh, show or two ago, but didn't get around to it. That's where I stand. I know you guys are saying, but he did this with the call and he did that with the call. Well, I'm not talking about that. You are, and that's fine. And there's a lot of people that came on that night, and it seemed to me that they were just here to troll them because I haven't seen them since. So that's really all I have to say about it. And no, there's nothing wrong with my video. It was a question we had. We explored it. It's answered. Finito. Let's talk about some of the topics we have tonight. All right. Shall we? We shall. If you guys didn't know, it's Hot Ham's birthday. If you see her, say hello. DJ Hot Ham, everybody. She's one of our DJs. For those of you that don't know, and I'm going to talk about our producers in the midpoint of the show. We didn't have any executive producers, but we do have some producers for today. You know what? I think my, my, my chair is like going south. There we go. You guys see me slinking. It's like my chair is deflating. Not sure about that. So I got off topic there because my chair went south. So what we do with all the money the show brings in, whether it's a super chat, where, whether it's a super thanks, or it's a cash app at cash symbol Midnight Radio 101, that is cash app symbol, cash symbol Midnight Radio 101, all of it goes to our music license. And we have DJs that are training right now, and they do what we call the Midnight Radio pre-show. And on that pre-show, on that pre-show we have four DJs right now, including myself. We have Mrs. Midnight. We have DJ Hot Ham and DJ Johnny Vincent, who will be doing the pre-show tomorrow. So on the pre-show, they do the pre-show. If you're, if you don't know what the pre-show is, check out, check out, you scroll up where we're doing it earlier. It comes in right before the show on the live stream. There's a link there. All right, let's go ahead and continue right here. This is disturbing. So I have three different aspects of this case I want to look at. Nicola 
Let's see. Nicola uh, Bully update. Seven things dive experts Peter Fondling says don't add up. So we have things that don't add up from the dive expert, things that don't add up from the husband, and we have the friends who say, here's some things that you don't know that might make things add up. And that's where we're going to examine this case from. So make sure you guys got a clear view of this. The forensic search expert brought in by friends and family to search for missing mom of two, Nicola Bully, has described the case as baffling and the most unusual case he's ever investigated in his 25 years in the job. Among the concerns Peter Falding has raised are that Nicole's mobile phone could have been placed on the bench by the river as a decoy. And he said there is a chance that a third party could have been involved in her disappearance, adding that if his team doesn't find anything on Tuesday, February 7th, that is today, it is likely someone else was involved in Nicola's disappearance. He told Talk TV, after 25 years of doing this kind of work, after hundreds of cases, I am well and truly baffled. Normally you would expect the divers to find them easily. The police have nothing to go on. All they have is a mobile phone at the moment. and They said it could possibly be a decoy. So did I properly tell you guys what we're looking at here? There was a woman who's been missing. It has now been 11 days since the 45-year-old mortgage broker disappeared without a trace as she walked her dog Willow along a tow, a tow path on the River Wire in Lancaster. Mr. Falding's company specialist group International arrived at the scene on Monday, February 6th to use advanced sonar equipment as part of the search, no clues were uncovered, and the search is set to continue on Tuesday. Their group, which is based in Dorking, Surrey, has been volunteering its services free of charge. Here are the elements of the police theory that Nicola fell into the river about which Mr. Falding has expressed doubts. I'd like to thank Susan Bennett. Thank you very much, Susan. The mobile phone on the bench. Man, I have, we're talking about this because if you're a member of Midnight Radio, if you're at least a uh, level two member, which is Midnighter or Midnight Rider, you guys have, have uh, the ability to enter our Discord. And you guys are talking about that in Discord. And you guys have brought some very clever theories I'm going to talk about after this. I might wait till the end. The forensic expert says that the only thing the police have to go on is a mobile phone. That's it. That's all. Nothing else. And he has raised the possibility that it could have been left there as a decoy. The phone was found still logged in to a work team's call that Nicola had appeared to be listening into. The camera microphone had both been switched off. Mr. Falding said that police had searched the immediate area of the bench on two occasions, and his team are planning to search there again on Tuesday, February 7th. He said police divers have already thoroughly searched that stretch of the river and wouldn't have missed anything. However, specialist equipment used by his team could help to completely rule out anything. Speaking on Good Morning Britain, he said, I personally think if I roll this stretch out of river, stretch of river out today, we were working. I don't think she's here, and there's probably a third party involved.
He shared his theory that Nicole's phone could have been used as a decoy. This has also been an issue with the CCTV that would have covered the area was not working. If Nicola is not in that stretch of river, today my view is that there is a third party involved as this was a decoy placed by the river. It could have been placed as a decoy. There is not enough CCTV to cover particular areas here. The police are working hard in the background to cover everything. He added the phone on the bench. I mean, you have to ask. Normally, someone would have a phone in their hand, especially if you're walking around. Nicole's dog, Willow, and why it was not more distressed. There's been much speculation about Willow, the dog, and whether Nicola had gone into the river to rescue her. The dog was found near the bench but was reportedly dry and not wearing her harness. Mr. Falding told Good Morning Britain News earlier this week, we dealt with a drowning couple a, a couple years ago where a gentleman went into the river and Ripley, his dog, was screaming by the riverbank when he got there. When we arrived, it was howling and literally pointing exactly where he was. He stayed with his owner. Nobody heard any screams. He also said it feels odd that no one spoke of the fact that Nicola was not wearing clothes that would have absorbed water quickly. There were no marks at the scene and that not one person heard screams. A number of witnesses who police wanted to speak to have been traced, but no further information about what could have happened has been gleaned. The area had never been sealed off. Mr. Falding also raised concerns that the bench where the phone was found had not been sealed off. He's concerned that clues to the disappearances could have been lost. He said people have been walking past the bench. There's no police tape up. This would normally be sealed off as a crime scene, so potential crime scene investigators can go in and see if there are any microfibers, evidence, slip marks, down the bank, etc., and I don't believe that has actually happened here. They found nothing so far. The police have said they were working on the theory that Nicola went into the river. The specialist team spent most of Monday searching an area of the river downstream from the bench in the tidal section of the river. Mr. Falding told BBC Breakfast on Tuesday, we are focusing on the area upstream from the weir. That is a bit further down the river, which is non-tidal and going about a mile upstream. This includes the area where the phone was found on the bench. I must state this area was searched on the day by police divers. They're very professional divers, and they didn't find anything. And that is the odd thing about this. This is what I can get out of my head around. It is very strange. Why you would have expected to find a drowned body by now? Speaking on Good Morning Britain, Mr. Falling said, bodies can get lodged in reeds and show up months later. The sonar won't go into the reeds, but then that's the idea of the divers. And as I said before, it was originally searched when he supposedly went in. He said police divers are already thoroughly searching that stretch of the river and wouldn't have missed anything. However, specialist equipment used by his team could help to completely rule out everything. You notice, and the reason why I'm reading this and I can't leave any of it out is because... He's hitting these certain key points. And when we look at what her husband is about to say and her friends are going to say, things will clear up some of these points. It just seems too convenient to me. This is a mystery, and it doesn't seem like it on his face. A woman went missing. Somebody from the Discord was saying, you know what? 
She goes there, she places her phone there and goes off with another man. That's what really happened here. And maybe, maybe that's right. Maybe that's right. We don't know yet. I'll continue a little bit more. And then he goes on why, why we'll just read the titles. Why Nicola couldn't be in a different part of the river. So they asked him if she could be in a different part of the river. He said if she's fallen in somewhere, not if she's fallen in somewhere, somebody could have placed her in a different part of the river. And they close with, it's important to note that police often don't share all the details of an investigation. So there you go. But we have more to this case. There's much more to this case. For example, her friend shared 11 facts to stop speculation, including where dog's harness was found. Okay, there's Nicola. So her friend in this article shares 11 facts. This is the 10th day of her disappearance. Police confirmed they are not treating the mom of two disappearance as suspicious or launching a criminal investigation at this stage. Okay. They have nothing that shows there was a crime involved. They just have her phone that was there. Of course, right now, they say she was logged into this meeting at work. She was on the bench, or the phone was on the bench. I want to know what what's the last thing she said on that call before she muted it. I want to know that. I want to know what time it was. I want to know what she said. She was last seen by a witness on Friday, January 27th at around 9, 10 a.m. She is described as white, 5'3", with light brown shoulder-length hair. She speaks with an Essex accent. Nicole's friend Tilly Ann had shared 11 definitive answers to questions which had been a source of online speculation. Tilly said she could no longer stand by and let the speculation cause hurt and distress to the family. Okay. Tilly said, I want to start this post by thanking those who have shared and shared posts and who've been out looking and have created such comfort to Nikki's family. Absolutely incredible. However, I sit back. I can't sit back anymore and not act with regards the hurt and distress that is being caused by some very inappropriate comments. What are those inappropriate comments? Inquiring minds want to know. Tilly, with permission from Nicole's family, has now shared 11 answers to questions which have been circulating on social media in hopes that this will clear up any misinformation. All right, let's go. One, Nicole and Paul both mostly worked from home, which is why he was at home. That day, and the house has CCTV. They both do this walk regularly, with, and Paul is very well known in the community and very well recognized, okay? The dog, Willow, never has her harness on for a chunk of that walk. It's removed as a gate of the top field and then put back on the gate when they get back, I suppose. They very rarely take the ball out for walks with Willow. 
and haven't done for a while because she is protective over her ball. Nicola would often put her phone on a loudspeaker when talking. The dog was found very close to both the bench and the harness. The harness was found on the floor, not the bench. Nicola is an incredibly strong swimmer. She drove to the school to drop her two daughters off and then left her car there and walked to the river. The dog was dry when found. The dog has since been back. There's CCTV at the back of the caravan park. The only camera there isn't working. It's the one that would have seen everything. You know, here's something interesting to me, everybody. Uh, I, wanna, I want you to note this. The police aren't concerned. Why? Well, we don't know what her financial records are. And if she was spending money, it's like, well, we have her getting a burrito at a gas station. You know, I don't know what they would buy in England. What would you get at a gas station if not a burrito? A banger? I don't know. Or how about a kebab? I hear kebabs are big there. Yesterday, Lancashire police reminded people that speculation and abuse regarding the investigation on social media was totally unacceptable, you naughty people. You need to sit down and shut up and let them do the work. They added, we would urge people to remember that we are investigating the disappearance of Nicola, and the priority is Nicola and her family. We want to find her and provide answers to her family. I'm curious as if there was any money missing. Let's read some of the comments. It's horrible speculating, but sometimes it's the people want to help, and they think, what if I didn't say it and it was missed? Like, why are all the paranoia panorama photos on google maps from one contributor four years ago from around the area likely on a similar walk and yet there is one separate photo further northwest on its own which doesn't open and doesn't appear to be live yet what if that is relevant and no one else has noticed i just hope she's found i'll read one more before we move on i don't believe people are intentionally being awful they're searching for answers Paul's been the director of four different companies, according to Companies House. Nicola, whilst we hear as a mortgage advisor, is named as a person with significant control over one of the companies, which is about to undergo compulsory strike of PNN, Engineering Design Limited. That is not a speculation. Only a month ago, a woman was chased along Barrowford Canal Path by a man. That's only 30 miles away. Has anyone thought there might be a connection? And I got this. Her husband. Her husband has something to say about this. Nicola Bully's partner, Paul Ansel, reveals heartbreak as new CCTV still released. This was breaking. There is the still right there. And I guess that's the CC from her house. The partner of missing Nicole Bully is told Sky News. She has to she has to be found safe and well because I can't put those girls to bed again with no answers. Officer's main working hypothesis is a forty five year old fell into the river. 
but her friends and family claim she, there's no evidence whatsoever behind this. Paul Ansel said the girls miss their mummy desperately and need her back. This has been such a tough time for the girls, especially, but also for me and all of Nicola's family and friends, as well as her wider community. And I want to thank them for their love and support. An additional voice note since Sky News, he said, we have to find her safe and well. I can't put those girls to bed again tonight with no answers. It's been 10 days now since Nicola went missing. I have two little girls who missed our mummy desperately, and we need her back. It's been such a tough time for the girls especially, but also for me, all of Nikki's family and friends, as well as the wider community. I want to thank them for their love and support. We're also really grateful to Peter and his team from SGI for coming up and helping support the work of Lancashire Police as they continue their investigation. Their support is amazing. If anyone has any information which could help find Nikki, I urge them, please, to get in touch with the police. Help us provide the answers that we all so badly need. We have to find her safe and well. I can't put those girls to bed again tonight with no answers. It's, yeah, thank you. Have any of you women out there ever left your husband? Or how many of you are thinking about leaving him now? Do you think this is a possibility? Do you think she just left her husband? Do you think this is a bit dramatic the way she did it? If there hasn't been foul play. I'm just searching all the possibilities. I know I've had several women on here tell me they used to be in abusive relationships. I just want to know if that's a possibility. For those of you just tuning in, this show here, Midnight Radio, is a show where we welcome wild-ass speculations and wild-ass theories. We call them WAS and WAT. We even have something called TAT, which stands for Tame-Ass Theories. I've heard Old-Ass Theories, which is OAT, Oats, and Dumb-Ass Theories, which is a DAS, a DAS. So... I'd like to hear yours. You can call me when I open up the phone lines with your theories. 325-261-0892. Thank you for tuning in. Let's continue here. Rough story. I would like I like your input on it. None rougher than this. None rougher than this. I'm going to do a little bit better of a job starting off this for you. For those of you who aren't familiar with this, They call it the Duxbury Mother. Duxbury Mother. Jessica, I just checked with the clerk's office here at the courthouse to see if there are any new filings. There are none. Uh, Lindsay, we may learn if there are any new charges, we may learn about those new charges at the 2 p.m. hearing. Lindsay Clancy will be formally charged with two counts of murder and three counts each of strangulation, as well as assault and battery with a dangerous weapon. Two weeks ago today, police responded to the Duxbury home and made the tragic discovery. Two of the children were pronounced dead 
dead at the hospital. An eight-month-old baby died later that week. Clancy was found to have jumped out a window in a suicide attempt. She remains hospitalized and will appear via Zoom uh, in the courtroom hearing, which will determine if she is held in custody while awaiting trial. What kind of bail is the, the prosecution looking for? Secondly, what does the judge set for bail? And thirdly, what, if anything, does the defense counsel say at the arraignment beyond not guilty? Clancy's defense attorney claims she was over-medicated, taking 12 various antidepressants. He says he plans to pursue a strategy that she lacked criminal responsibility due to involuntary intoxication. Now, again, Lindsay Clancy is at the hospital. She will appear via Zoom. However, the judge, the prosecutor, and the defense attorney will be here for the hearing in person at this Plymouth courthouse. And if this arraignment follows others, typically we do learn new information and new details about exactly what happened. Live at the Plymouth Courthouse, <clears throat> Sarah Conji, WCVB News Center 5. All right. All right. Uh, somebody's saying my volume's a little bit low. What, are you talking about my mic? Are you talking about the volume of what I just played? Testing, one, two, three. Testing, testing, testing. Let me know, let me know. Volume of what? Guys, you can't be general. What what volume do I need to turn up? I have a mic. I have music. All right, my mic. And the answer is no, I've got it all the way up. I'm sorry, you can turn up your volume to your YouTube though, because after I listen to it after the show and I barely have it up, check that out. I'll have to check it out after. All right. Music was good. Yeah, the music looked good on my thing. All right. Let's continue here. So we're talking about the Duxbury mother and I have, this is, so she was arraigned today and she was arraigned from her hospital bed because she is now paralyzed she strangled her children she unalived them and she tried to unalive herself and i played you what the defense is going to strategize in this case because they told everybody but we're actually going to look at her being read her charges today right now and uh, i want to discuss this we wondered what it would be like to be in a position like her when you realize that you took the lives of your children. And she is saying in her that she was over-medicated, and that's why she did it. And I want you to pin that in your mind. Because one of the most interesting things about true crime, if not the thing that I'm interested in, is the ability of the defense. Although you've heard the prosecution side and what the facts were. The facts are there are some people... In this case and other cases that no longer have life and this person took it. So those are facts, maybe the only ones you have. And you're like, man, that is guilty as hell. And then if the defense will come in and if they are good, a person with the seeming to have authority almost has a mesmerizing effect on you 
And you will think, ah, oh, man, I see exactly what you're talking about, and your mind can flip the other way. And then you'll hear back from you'll hear back from the prosecutors, and you'll say, nope, they did it. And then you'll hear back from the defense. All right. And I studied this as a writer because it's interesting to relate this to the plot of something you're writing. So those of you uh, who study writing or students of writing, pay attention to this, and that's why we're watching this video. The show. It's produced by me. I'm a writer, and I look at all these different stories every day, and the reason why I started this show was just to do it live with you because I was doing it anyway. And not just true crime. I look at some truly bizarre stuff. Truly bizarre stuff. We'll go over that in the future, but we're going over this right now. So she's a f former Connecticut resident. I'm not reading this article to you. Uh, we're going to watch the video but she used exercise bands to unalive her three children in the family home in a well-planned assault where her husband was out for about 20 minutes picking up medicine at a pharmacy and takeout. All right, I'm going to leave it at that, and we're going to play the video when I find it here in a minute. I just had the video. Oh, here we go. Boom. See? See? Five nine CR zero one five three. It's the Commonwealth versus Lindsay Plans. Thank you very much. Could I have counsel for the Commonwealth? Our counsels identify themselves for the record. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Jennifer Spray for the Commonwealth. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Amanda Fowler for the Commonwealth. Could I have counsel for Ms. Clancy identify himself for the record? Good afternoon, Your Honor. Kevin Reddington. I represent uh, Lindsay Clancy, who is appearing by Zoom, as I understand. Okay, very good. I can see Ms. Clancy on the Zoom line. In this matter. This arraignment is being conducted at the ascent of the parties with Ms. Clancy participating from the hospital that she is in. This is done to ensure, and it's on Zoom, that the public has as much access as possible to court business. It also ensures any privacy rights of people doing business at the hospital and helps the hospital in dealing with what they need to deal with on a daily basis, and both sides have assented to doing the arraignment this way. At this point in time, there is a court staff that is at the hospital. Mr. Jackson, can you hear me? And is Ms. Clancy in a position that the two of you can hear me? Yes, Your Honor. Yes, Your Honor. Thank you very much. Ms. Clancy, at any point in time, if you needed to speak to your attorney, you can indicate that you'd like to speak to your attorney, and we can make arrangements to go off record where you would be able to have a private call with your attorney if that became necessary. Very good. I will first hear, I've had a chance to review the court filing in, in its entirety. I have had a chance to with documentation from a treating surgeon, as well as some letters that were also submitted to the court. I have had a chance to re review all of those documents. Commonwealth, I'll hear from you first. Your Honor, I apologize. Excuse me, Counsel. Your Honor, uh, I would request, much like we do many times with this identification issue, that rather than have the, uh, the Zoom focus directly on her, you know she can hear, you know that she's able to understand what's going on based on the response by the court officer. I'd ask if they could just avert the uh, camera somewhat so that she's not constantly center of that 
Yeah, I, I don't have a problem. Given, given the arrangements, I think it's fine the way it is. Okay, thank you. Right, shall I arrange this in? Yes, you may proceed with the arraignment, Mr. Clark. Mr. Cl Ms. Clancy on Dr. 2359CR15. Somebody's asking, no, the phone line is not open right now. If you have a comment you want to make, you can leave a voicemail message right now. We'll open it up in a little bit, though. I think it's interesting what the judge said about the public's right to see the trial, how the public wants to see it, and it's their right. The court has a complaint charging you under 265 section 1, count 1 murder, juvenile 1. Count 2, 265 section 1, murder, juvenile 2. Count 3, 265 15D big A, strangulation or suffocation, juvenile 1. Count 4, 265 15D big A. Strangulation, suffocation, juvenile two. Count fives, 265, 15D, big A. Strangulation, suffocation, juvenile three. Count six, 265, 15A, big A. Assault and battery, dangerous weapon, two wick, exercise rope, juvenile one. Count seven, assault and battery, 265, 15A, with a dangerous weapon, two wick, exercise rope, juvenile two. And count eight, 265-15A, assault battery, dangerous weapon, exercise rope, to whip juvenile three. Man, for the plea of not guilty will be entered. Please be advised while this case is pending, any violation of state, federal, local law may result in a bail being revoked and be held without bail. Commonwealth, I'll hear from you first. Thank you, Your Honor. The Commonwealth is requesting that the defendant be held without bail based on the facts of the case, the strength of the Commonwealth's case, and the potential penalty. On Friday, January 27, 2023, using an erasable whiteboard because she was still temporarily intubated, one of the first questions that Lindsay Clancy asked was, do I need an attorney? She knew that she had murdered her children and she had the clarity, focus, and mental acumen to focus on protecting her own rights and interests. The following is a summary of the events that led to the murders of Cora Clancy, Dawson Clancy, and Callan Clancy. On the morning of Tuesday, January 24th, 2023, the defendant took her five-year-old daughter, Cora, to the pediatricians for an appointment. She interacted with a receptionist, nursing staff, and a doctor. There were apparently no issues with the defendant's de demeanor or behavior as she completed the appointment and was allowed to leave with Cora without any issues or concerns. When she returned home... So this wasn't something that she just freaked out and did, you know... This is something that she pre-planned, and there's evidence of that. So you're asking, who's that guy on the big screen? That's the judge, and it has her on the right side. The camera folks at the judge, her on the right side, and it's a Zoom call. So, um, She went outside with Cora and her three-year-old son, Dawson, to play in the snow. They built a snowman. The defendant sent photos to her mother and to the defendant, straight that to her husband. She texted with them. Nothing in the text was out of the ordinary or any sign of any distress or trouble. Back inside later that day at 4.02 p.m., the defendant searched on her phone, Kids Miralax. She then searched at Takeout 3V via her cell phone at 4.13 p.m. Immediately after doing that, she used Apple Maps on her phone to determine how long it would take someone to drive from her home in Duxbury to 3V Restaurant in Plymouth so she would know how long someone would be gone if they ran that errand. She next went on the CVS website at 4.47 p.m. and then called CVS on Summer Street in Kingston. She spoke to the manager of CVS and asked if they had the kids' Miralax. 
The manager told her no, but they had other similar medications. According to the manager of CVS, her voice did not sound slurred or impaired in any way. She had no trouble understanding the defendant, and it was a perfectly normal conversa conversation. At 4.53 p.m., the defendant texted her husband, who was working in his home office in their basement. She texted, any chance you want to do takeout from 3V? I didn't cook anything. It's been a long day. This was an unusual request, as when the family ordered takeout, they'd usually go somewhere closer to home, but it was a place that they had been in the past. Patrick Clancy texted back yes, and then the defendant asked him to check the menu. At 5.06 p.m., the, the, the husband texted the defendant um, asking uh, what she was going to get. She responded, a Mediterranean Power Bowl. She spelled it correctly, and it was something that was on the menu. He then told her that he wanted the scallop and pork belly risotto. At 5.10 p.m., the defendant called 3V Restaurant to place the order. She got the order correct. She gave the correct name for pickup, Patrick. The hostess who took the call said there was nothing out of the ordinary about this call. She was able to understand the defendant, that um, her voice was not slurred or impaired in any way. At 5.15 p.m., Patrick Clancy headed out the door to run these errands at the defendant's request. As he left, she texted him Pedialax liquid stool softener. Surveillance footage shows Mr. Clancy at CVS on Summer Street in Kingston at 5.32 p.m. He goes to the medication aisle, the children's medication aisle. Phone records show that he called the defendant at 5.33 p.m. and she did not answer the phone. She then calls him back at 5.34 p.m. and the call lasted 14 seconds. He's there at the store unsure of which medication to get and she tells him exactly what she wants. He had no issues communicating with her. It was a completely normal call, although he did mention that she seemed like she was in the middle of something. He is on surveillance footage during this time, exiting that aisle and appeared to be using his phone. He then heads to the register, makes his purchase, and leaves the store at 5.37 p.m. He's next seen on footage at 3V restaurant at 5.54 p.m. He picks up the, the food and he's out of there within a minute. When he arrives home, the first thing he noticed was the silence. He did not see or hear the defendant or the children. He actually called her cell phone at 6.09 p.m. looking for them, and she did not answer. He went to their bedroom on the second floor and the door was locked. He was able to open it, and when he looked inside, he saw blood on the floor in front of a full-length mirror and the window open. He immediately runs downstairs and into the backyard where he finds the defendant laying on the ground. She appeared to have cuts on her wrists and neck, but he stated to 911 that those wounds were no longer bleeding. She was conscious. He called 911. During this time, he asked the defendant, what did you do? She responded to him, I tried to kill myself and jumped out the window. During the 911 call, Patrick can be heard asking the defendant, where are the kids? He later told police that she replied, in the basement. So immediately after this happened, she knew what she had done and she knew where the kids were. When EMS arrived, he asked them to... Somebody in the chat room had a good point. And I guess I'll bring that up. I'll bring it up. And this was... Let me see here. Somebody asked me a question. Someone asked me, why would you call in the medication? 
And I answered because she wanted the husband out of the house to pick up the medication so she would have time to unalive the, the children. And they said, and that's what we're going to hear from the, the prosecution here. And uh, the chat said, all that doesn't matter. I've known two people, one that unalived himself with a firearm after mowing the lawn, completely coherent. No fighting, no nothing, just new medication. Interesting. Stay with her so he could go find his kids. The 911 call kept going. Patrick can be heard on the 911 call entering the home and heading to the basement. At one point, he calls out. Although, it seems like if somebody did that, I didn't see any pre-planning there. You were normal one minute and then you weren't. And according to the prosecution here, what she's showing is that she was planning this. Again, these are things to think about. I'm not the prosecutor. I'm just somebody looking at the facts that they're given to the general populace here. But it wasn't something that happened fast. But again... I'm no fan of pharmaceuticals either. Oh, guys, he can then be heard screaming in agony and shock as he found his children. His screams seem to get louder and more agonized as the time passes. Cora and Callan were on the floor in the den area of the finished basement, which is to the left when you walk down the stairs, while Dawson was alone on the floor in his father's home office, which is to the right when you go down the stairs. Each child still had the exercise band that was used to strangle them tied around their necks when their father found them. Dawson and Callan were face down on the floor. Cora was on her side with her torso turned towards the floor. He removed the bands and begged them to breathe. He continued to scream uncontrollably and screamed for officers to come to the basement. The dispatchers are hearing this and they send help down to the basement and when they encounter Patrick, he yells out, she killed the kids. The police rushed the children to ambulances that brought them to the hospital, and unfortunately, Cora and Dawson were declared dead at the hospital. Callan was med-flighted to Boston Children's Hospital. Medical staff was able to restart his pulse, but not his brain activity. He was placed on life support for several days before passing away. The defendant was transported to South Shore Hospital and then to a Boston area hospital where she remains. She sustained several broken bones in her back and her rib cage. The police were able to find several notebooks in the defendant's home pursuant to a search warrant and also notes on her phone that were similar to journal entries. In the months, weeks, and days preceding January 24, 2023, the defendant meticulously detailed her daily activities, her children's lives, her mental state, and her medication use. Her writing was clear, precise, and articulate. She never indicated that she was hallucinating, delusional, or had disordered thoughts or speech. In all of her writing, she appears to know who she is, where she is, the date, and with whom she's interacted. She wrote a note on her phone the day before killing the children, stating that she had, quote, a touch of postpartum anxiety, end quote, around returning to work. She wrote that her psychiatrist had prescribed medication to help her. The defendant was initially diagnosed, according to her husband, with generalized anxiety disorder. 
She was then evaluated at the Women and Infant Center for Women's Behavioral Health in Providence, Rhode Island on December 20th, 2022. There, after an evaluation, she was told in the presence of her husband that by psychiatrists that she did not have postpartum depression and that she had no symptoms of postpartum depression. She wrote in her journal that at times she had suicidal ideation in December of 2022, and she also told her husband that she had suicidal thoughts and on one occasion had thoughts of harming her children. But she did not write or voice those thoughts after a stay at McLean Hospital. When she had those thoughts, she consulted with a psychiatrist and with her husband, and then she committed herself to McLean Hospital on January 1st, 2023. She was discharged by the hospital on January 5th, 2023 and the hospital did not file any paperwork at that time attempting to have her committed as a danger to herself or others. She also kept meticulous and detailed daily medication logs in a diary that she wrote. She detailed that she had difficulties with each of the medications that were prescribed to her. And when she had issues with those medications, she detailed how her doctor had her stop that medication or wean off of it and then try something else. They were trying different medications to see what would work for her, what would benefit her. According to her husband, she was never on more than four to five medications at one time. And at the time of the murder, she was taking only three medications. And he said to the police that she always took the medications as prescribed. After her stay at McLean, the defendant appeared to be getting better, according to her husband. She slept well, interacted with friends and family, she went out with her kids and husband to places like the Kingsbury Club in Duxbury, the Charlie Horse Restaurant, the Museum of Science in Boston, the Cape Cotter down the Cape, interacting with her family and the public without any apparent difficulties. She even stayed alone with the children on several occasions without any issues in January of 2023. Her husband asked her in mid-January, are you still having suicidal thoughts? And she said no. The defendant's parents visited the family the weekend of January 21st, 2023. They interacted with the defendant in person. The defendant was able to run errands while her mom watched the children. She texted back and forth with her mother, and there was nothing out of the ordinary about these text messages. In fact, the defendant texted her mother on January 22nd, 2023 to ask how her, home, her ride home went. During this conversation, the defendant's mother wrote, quote, enjoyed seeing everyone this weekend. Nice to see you doing better. End quote. On the night of the killings, Patrick Clancy was interviewed by the police at Beth Israel Deaconess Plymouth Hospital. He told the police that the defendant was having one of her best days. She was smiling and happy, and there was no indication that she was going to harm the kids. No one, no one at all described her as acting like a zombie in the days leading up to the murder or on the day of the murders themselves. On February 5th, 2023, this past Sunday at 1.35 p.m., while sitting with Dr. Paul Zizel, the psychologist hired by defense counsel to evaluate her mental state, the defendant used Dr. Zizel's cell phone to call her husband. She left a voicemail stating that she loved him. Yesterday on February 6, 2023, at 10.09 a.m., she again used Dr. Zizel's cell phone to call her husband. This time he answered, and during this call, the defendant stated, that after he left the house that night, she killed the kids because she heard a voice and had, quote, a moment wow. of psychosis, end quote. He asked her what voices she heard, and she said she heard a man's voice telling her to kill the kids and kill herself because it was a, her last chance. Patrick Clancy told the police the defendant had never heard voices before. He also told the police the defendant had never used the word psychosis to him before. 
The first time she used that word psychosis was when she was with the doctor hired by defense counsel and using his cell phone. The defendant actually wrote a note on her phone on October 25th, approximately three months before this happened, October 25th, 2022. She wrote, quote, I think I sort of resent my other children because they prevent me from treating Cal like my first baby. And I know that's not fair to them, I know that. I was feeling so depressed last evening when Cora and Dawson came home from school. I know it runs off on them, so we had a pretty rough evening. I want to feel love and connection with all of my kids. She then wrote that she wants to have more kids eventually. The children were killed by ligature strangulation. Ligature strangulation causes the victim to become unconscious anywhere from 10 seconds up to a minute. The more the victim struggles, the longer it takes. After the victim is unconscious, the ligature must be held in place with force, squeezing the neck for up to an additional four to five minutes to cause death. Therefore, she had to strangle each of them to unconsciousness and then make sure the bands were squeezing their little necks for several minutes. She could have changed her mind at any point during that time and removed those bands from their necks, and she did not. The defendant did not take advantage of the situation when her husband left the home that night. She created the situation, and she used Apple Maps to make sure she would have enough I'm zooming in on her face. Time to strangle each child before her husband returned from where she Okay, there we go. had sent him. The defendant is a danger to herself and others. She planned these murders, gave herself the time and privacy needed ah. to commit the murders. So much for that plan, huh? And then she strangled each child in the place where they should have felt the safest, at home with their mom. She did so with deliberate premeditation and extreme atrocity and cruelty. And to supplement what the defense counsel provided, your eyes and um, I have a statement of bail argument to file with the court. And thank you, Honor. Thank you very much, Attorney Reddington. Thank you very much, Your Honor. <clears throat> Your Honor, my request is that the court not uh, enter what I would suggest is an, an inhumane order, ordering this woman to be incarcerated. We all know, as people that work in the system, that jails and prisons are woefully deficient in medical care of the most basic type. We all know that this is an individual, as Your Honor knows from Dr. Rekar's letter, who is in dire medical condition. We all know that this woman is, as counsel concedes apparently, a danger to herself. I, I, I question whether she would ever make it to a trial. She's suicidal. She's extremely emotional. However, she's unable and has been unable to express any happiness or sadness or cry. 
And in fact, sometime about I disagree on that. I zoomed in and saw her. It's sad. She made the comment, I just wish that I could feel something. Now, our society fails miserably in treating women with postpartum depression I agree or with even this. postpartum psychosis. It's Medicaid, Medicaid, Medicaid. Throw the pills at you and then see how it works. If it doesn't work, increase the dose or decrease the dose. Then end up trying another combination of medications. We're talking a relatively short period of time from when that baby was born in October up until January when this incident occurred, Your Honor, that she was on such significant dosage of medication. Uh, Your Honor knows that uh, Cora was born in uh, 2017. It was a very uneventful, uh, normal uh, pregnancy and delivery. No issues afterwards as far as anxiety. Dawson was born in 2018. Uh, again, it was a normal birth. Um, she had no significant points. issues as far as anxiety. She did have to have stitches, and she was sore, and that was about it. Then, of course, Callan was born. When Callan was born, she ended up becoming depressed, suffered from significant anxiety. As a result of which, she consulted with a number of doctors. A number of doctors indicated that she would be able to sleep, she would be able to feel, she would be able to emote uh, once these medications kicked in. And again, as I say, our medical and our society completely abandons women with this condition. It's easy to say, come on, you have a healthy baby, you have a wonderful husband, you're able to take care mm -hmm. of your, your kids and your home, you're lucky. Take the pills, you'll be okay. Well, they put her on a number of medications. They put her on Prozac, which Your Honor is well aware, is what's known as SSRI, Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitor. Your Honor knows that along with some of these medications, they have the black box warning from the FDA, may cause suicidal ideation, may cause homicidal ideation. She was on Ativan. She was on Benadryl. Ativan. And then she ended up being told, okay, because she was complaining about the effects of the Prozac, they said, stop the Prozac, we'll find something else. They put her on Remeron. Then they added on Seroquel. And Your Honor, I attached from David Benjamin, the toxicologist, some papers with the submission. And Your Honor can see the side effects that this Seroquel causes. She was having bad thoughts. She was having worsening depression. Her husband suffered through that phase. Her parents were well aware of the fact that she was suffering from this depression and depressive phase. She wasn't sleeping. She ended up, at some point, Your Honor, uh, December 31st, she was on Seroquel. They told her then uh, the Valium would be stopped. She was a shell of herself, no personality, and went to the doctor again. The doctor again prescribes a Seroquel, uh, and then they took her off the Seroquel. And then she went to the doctor, and the, at that point, they prescribed trazodone, ativan, amitriptyline, right up to the very end, when she was so bad that she voluntarily turned herself in, if you will, to the McLean Hospital. We know that that's a psychiatric hospital. She was at the McLean Hospital for a period of about five days. Well, at the McLean Hospital, they basically tried to get her uh, off the Seroquel. Uh, she wanted to get off the benzodiazepines. She felt that she was being addicted to the benzodiazepines. She then ends up on trazodone, Ativan. Um, her mood was terrible after she got out of uh, McLean Hospital. 
She still had the suicidal thoughts. As the government has indicated, she even told her husband that she had suicidal thoughts. You think this is something that she's planning to kill these three kids by going and getting a menu, going on to Google Maps or whatever it is, and finding out the distance? When she tells her husband she's having suicidal thoughts, probably a month prior, thoughts of hurting the children, they go to the doctor again, and she's on the medications, on and off, on and off. This is a significant issue between the postpartum depression as well as possibility of postpartum psychosis that is pretty much ignored. But nevertheless, with the overlay of the SSRIs and the history, and Your Honor has some uh, emails and things that people would reach out to me from all over the world indicating that their daughter had the same problem, that they had the same problem. Your Honor is well aware that many times when people are on Prozac or on SSRIs, Workplace violence, homicides, family homicides. This is clearly a tragic, which is a word that's used too much in the criminal justice system, but this really is a tragedy, this case. So we have, obviously, I would suggest, very good defense for this young woman. She's 32 years of age, Your Honor. She met her husband. He was the love of her life. They got married wonderful young couple and as counsel noted she always wanted to have kids always wanted to have babies she's a nurse she went to be a midwife because she wanted to help other women that would be in having babies but didn't want to have all the medications she was not a big medication person Uranus saw so i think there's probably close to 50 letters that have been submitted to you and i know you read every one of them the incredible outpouring of support by other nurses that work at Mass General Hospital. The fact that these women have a vigil, that they, that they write the letters to this court imploring you to understand that you sentence, far as bail issue, the woman before you, who was a beautiful person who was thoroughly destroyed by these medications. That's for another day, obviously. A bail issue, bail argument, Iran is well aware under Commonwealth versus Vasquez at 481 Mass 750. Supreme Judicial Court indicated that this court, or the court, has vested in sound discretion of the bail judge. And the main considerations would be obviously the usual bail considerations nature and circumstance of the offense, likelihood of success on the defense, roots in the community, and of course, as the in, in Vasquez case, as well as Commonwealth versus Herring, 489 Mass 569. Defendant's risk of flight. So now you have a situation, Your Honor, where this woman has incredible support, as you saw. Letters from Foxborough that were signed by about 15 women. Letters from her family, friends. Letters from she, people she's known since the sixth grade uh, that have stayed in touch with her. One thing that's a theme that is readily apparent is that Lindsay loved her children that she would always, one of the letters said, she would always rub her belly, rub her belly. She had pictures of her pregnant standing next to Patrick, hanging on the wall. I was in the house. The house is absolutely loaded with indicia of love for those kids. Photographs on the wall, little drawings, um, all sorts of games, toys, playpens, bassinets in the living room, in the dining room, the kitchen loaded with toys. Virtually the entire house, including their master bedroom. Toys, things for the kids.
This is not a situation, Your Honor, that was planned by any means. This is a situation that clearly was a product of mental illness. Now, under the Vasquez case, one of the issues, as I said, is <clears throat> whether or not there's a risk of flight. Now, I did submit to Your Honor a letter that was written by her physician, her attending surgeon, uh, Nicole Reka. And this doctor was in surgery until 8.30 at night and actually took the time to write this letter for you to review. And I just want to make note that he makes reference to the fact that she is now in her 12th day of hospitalization following admission on January 25 after a 20-foot fall. She suffered, unlike when the government Friday was saying that she can move her legs and she's getting better, she's okay. No, she's not okay at all. He indicates that she suffered several severe spine fractures, including spinal cord transection. You know what that means. At the level of T5, T6, as you know, she had surgery for this from the orthopedic spine surgical service who performed a decompression infusion. Unfortunately, she is not expected to recover meaningful function at this point below that level of the spinal cord which makes her a paraplegic, unable to move her legs or feel sensation from below her, he refers to umbilicus or belly button. He says she has no function below this level. Additionally, less active issues include rib fractures in the chest, both sides, cervical spine fractures, necessitate the wearing of a collar around her neck due to the cervical spine fractures. She's paralyzed. The doctor indicates that she needs significant medical treatment. Doctor recommends that she would be discharged to Spalding Rehab. Now you know that we have Spalding Rehab. You know that we have the Worcester Hospital. Um, this court is vested under Vasquez with your authority to have this woman not held on bail. Perhaps put a GPS on her, I guess, if someone's concerned that she's going to miraculously recover, which isn't going to happen. As your honor knows, being a paraplegic, paralyzed, she can't move. Can't get off the bed. She can't walk. She can't even go to the bathroom. She has to have 24-7 medical care. Her emotional state is so bad that there is a significant fear of suicide. She has to have someone sit in the room. 24-7 to watch her. They don't talk to her. They're not, you know, chatting it up. They just sit there and watch out of that concern that she would commit suicide. So you have a paraplegic who can't walk, who is definitely a danger to herself, and the government wants to put her in where? Framingham State Prison? Plymouth House of Correction? There's no way that any humane person would do that, especially within the structure of our criminal justice system, where a person is presumed innocent. And I'm not suggesting with the facts that the government has read, but she has a good defense. She's got a darn good defense to this case, because that's what happened. And I just want to share with you, Your Honor, one of the things that's interesting. When I was in the House, um, I came across a, a drawer that had a bunch of pill bottles in it, and I called the DA and I said, I got these pill bottles and made arrangements, I'm going to be giving them to them. Um, and it's all the Prozac and the Trazodone and all that stuff. But inside the drawer was this little vase. And uh, I didn't know what it was. It just looked like a little vase to me. 
And my wife said to me, oh, that looks like a, uh, a wish base. I said, what's a wish, wish base? She said, when people write down little wishes and they put little pieces of paper and they put them inside the vase. And there are literally dozens of these little pieces of paper that talk about Lindsay's wish for happiness and health for her children, that she could get pregnant again, that she would be able to be with her children, little Callum, Dawson, Cora, that they would be happy, healthy, and successful. This is not a woman, Your Honor, that had any reason to harm those innocent children. My request, Your Honor, is that the court would put her on a GPS if you feel that's required, and let the doctors continue to treat her, let her go to fair or just or consistent with our duties to each other as human beings to put her in jail. I'm asking that she be allowed to continue with her medical treatment, Your Honor. Your Honor, if I may, uh, I did look into um, medical treatment if she's held. Uh, we were under the impression we had received information before that she could move her legs, but then we learned updated medical information that she, um, for the for the time being, is paralyzed um, from the waist down. Um, she, if she is held, she could go to the Shattuck Hospital. If Shattuck does not have, if Shattuck does not have what she needs, um, she can be sent to another facility, and the corrections officers would go with her there. Shattuck would actually work with her, uh, the doctors at the hospital she's currently at. To determine the best course of treatment and if whatever she needs she's going to get but as defense counsel said she is a danger to herself and from the commonwealth's perspective others and just because she is paralyzed does not mean she's not a flight risk she will be in a wheelchair eventually and she can be driven somewhere she can be flown somewhere it does not mean that she will never be able to leave uh, this area I just would like to say that i'm sorry go ahead thank you i have been unfortunately, in the Shattuck Hospital. To suggest that she can get, quote, what she needs from the Shattuck Hospital is absolutely not true. The care that she's receiving at the hospital she's at now and the care that she would be receiving at the Spalding Rehab are light years ahead of the dismal, dank conditions of the Shattuck Hospital that we put our prisoners in. It's like something out of Iran, and that's not fair or correct. Thank you both, both of you, uh, all of you who appear before me uh, that will be litigating this case are all very well respected, and I'm sure at some point in time in Superior Court, this case will be tried in a very professional and very well by both sides. As counsel stated in Commonwealth First Vasquez, the Supreme Judicial Court addressed the issue of bail in first-degree murder cases, and Justice Lowy issued a detailed decision about the issues in these types of cases. The court found that a defendant charged with first-degree murder has no right to bail, but may be admitted to bail in the discretion of the judge. The court ruled that a judge should consider the nature and circumstances of the offense in way the defendant's risk of flight in light of the strength or weaknesses of the Commonwealth's case and the potential penalty 
of a sentence to life in prison. The court further noted that appropriate considerations for a judge would include the defendant's family ties, financial resources, length of residence in the community, character, mental condition, record of conviction, the appearances at court proceedings, or any previous fight to avoid prosecution or failure to appear at any court proceeding. It is important to note that the purpose of bail is not to impose punishment. The court has conducted a careful review of the details of the case and the defendant's history. The courts reviewed the filings that have been made, as well as letters submitted by counsel for the defendant and the update that was received from her attending trauma surgeon. The factual allegations in this case are both horrific and tragic. The potential penalty faced by the defendant if convicted is severe. The defendant has no criminal history. She does not even have a driving record. There is no evidence of any history of any abusive behavior by the defendant. The defendant was raised in New England and has extensive ties to the local area. She is extreme, has an extremely supportive family. She worked for several years in a local hospital and a number of co-workers have written letters in support of the defendant and her character. She's described in these letters as an exemplary worker, colleague, and friend. In the letter submitted by her attending trauma surgeon, she has extensive injuries that will require long-term inpatient rehabilitation. Weighing the, what the doctor has written and the facts from the defendant's current condition, the court finds that there is minimal risk of flight given the defendant's circumstances. The court is going to make the following order on bail. The defendant shall remain in her current hospital until medically cleared to be moved to a new facility. As a condition of bail, the defendant is ordered not to leave the hospital until discharged to a new facility. The defendant shall provide notice to probation 48 hours in advance of any transfer to a different facility. Based on the letter of the doctor, it would appear likely that she would be sent from the hospital setting to a 24-7 rehabilitation facility, like the Spalding Rehab, as a condition of bail if sent to a 24-7 rehabilitation facility. She is ordered to remain in that facility with the exception of if she needed to be transported to a different medical facility or a hospital for an additional MRI or something like that. The defendant shall continue to receive mental health treatment while hospitalized and sign releases for probation 
to monitor compliance with counseling. In the event that the defendant were to complete the services at a 24-7 rehab and complete that care, the court would hold a further hearing as to whether or not the defendant would it were in need of further mental health treatment that would need to be done in an inpatient setting, or whether or not the defendant's mental health care could be provided in a residential setting. The court would direct the court clinician, court doctor, to consult with the defendant's mental health providers to conduct this evaluation at the appropriate time in the future. If the defendant were in a position that she was going to be discharged to a residential setting, both sides would have the opportunity to be heard further. Any discharge to a, in a residential setting, the defendant would be subject to home confinement with appropriate electronic monitoring to monitor home detention. There would be exclusions that would be available if the defendant needed to attend medical or rehabilitation appointments, counseling sessions, or religious worship sessions. The court would have probation visit any proposed residential setting prior to the defendant being discharged to that type of a setting to ensure that such a setting were, was appropriate and safe. The defendant is ordered to surrender her passport to probation. In the event that the defendant does not have a passport, she is prohibited from applying for a passport. The court is not going to set any monetary bail at this time. Your Honor, would the court order that any such residential setting be in Massachusetts? I don't think we could do monitoring outside of the state. If we get to that point, you may make that request. If it becomes an issue, we can deal with that. We clearly have the ability in Massachusetts to appropriately monitor. If for some reason, I know that there are relatives that live in Connecticut, if something like that were being requested, obviously the court would need to make sure that appropriate monitoring were in place, but both sides would have an opportunity to be heard regarding that request. The next step in this matter would be to schedule a probable cause hearing. Is there a date that the parties would like to suggest for that purpose? Hold on a second, Your Honor. It's going to take some time to- That is fine. Thank you. Obviously, I would believe that it would be highly probable that the Commonwealth would be proceeding by way of indictment to the grand jury. In the event that the defendant is indicted, counsel for the Commonwealth will notify Attorney Reddington and make appropriate scheduling for arraignment in Superior Court. There was a matter that I'm not sure if the parties need to address. 
there was an impoundment order as to a document uh, that was signed by a previous judge. Uh, do either of you wish to be heard on that? I think uh, by agreement at this point, we'd ask that all impoundment orders be extended uh, and that defense counsel be allowed access to copies of the documents. It appears that Judge Sullivan had issued an order specifically as to one document and that will, that order will remain in effect. It may be readdressed at the next court hearing. We don't have anything filed today. Uh, as far as what is in the, uh, as it would relate to the doctor's report or any of the letters. I don't, have, I don't have any what? request to impose documents filed today, Judge. Okay. That's fine. And obviously the documents submitted by the Commonwealth would become part of the court file, as would be the application of complaint and documents that were attached to and submitted in support of the complaint. Those will be released. Yeah. Okay. Your Honor, we have signatures and yeah. probation executes signatures through counsel. Yes. Uh, counsel, you, uh, counsel for the defendant may sign the conditions of probation. The conditions of probation have been read to the defendant, and uh, they are clear. If there's any issues, they can be addressed on a further court date, but those will be the conditions that the defendant is subject to, and counsel can sign. On her behalf. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ma'am, on docket 2359CR153, the court has um, released you, ma'am, on conditions. You must remain in the hospital facility until medically cleared. You're not to leave unless discharged. You must submit notice to the probation department for uh, if transferred from any facility. Uh, must receive mental health counseling, sign releases for probation. The court notes a rehearing may occur if conditions change. Home confinement upon medical release. Allow visits, home visits by probation, and serving her passport, and the, for, uh, the uh, previous impound order has been extended uh, to the next date. Case will continue to May the 2nd, 2023, for probable cause. Thank you. Thank you all very much. Thank you all. All right. You guys want to talk about this now? I think we should before we move on to our next story, don't you? I'm going to go ahead and open up that phone line. I see a lot of opinions flowing around chat. Maybe some of you guys want to step up, talk about it, discuss it with old Jerry over here. It's like I told you, it's really interesting how you can listen to one of the lawyers and your mind can go one way, you listen to the other, and you're like, wow, they have a great, great point there. One person brought up in chat, did the judge have that ruling already ready before he before he heard everything? And yes, they normally do, but perhaps they have one of each. Phone number is now open, 325-261-0892. The phone line is open if you'd like to discuss some of the stories we've gone over, whether you want to discuss uh, Nicola Bully disappearing, her disappearance, or you want to discuss... If you want to discuss the uh, Lindsay Clancy, they call her the Duxbury mother, arraignment, you can call him 325-261-0892. I think the chat might be a bit behind. I'm going to start to move on to the next story here. The next story is about Gabby Petito, of course. 
There's a new photo that came out today. Um, I'll tell you what I want. I'm, does everybody know who Gabby Petito was and what's going on now? I'm thinking maybe I should play you a pre-video of that. Let me let me go ahead and throw this at you, and then I'm going to play the one about her picture while I'm waiting for a phone call. 325-261-0892. You are listening or watching Midnight Radio. In the screen and rescue her. Um, that's, that's all I can really say about that. Right now, Gabby Petito's family are suing the Moab Police Department. That's Gabby Petito's mother, who is now suing a Utah police department, claiming they mishandled her daughter's cries for help. Petito was found dead days later, and then her boyfriend, Brian Laundrie, he was he on the run. He just went like this. Brian Yanis joins us with the latest on, on this. Face. Hi, Brian. Hi, Dana. Yeah, well, Gabby Petito's up. family announced yesterday they will file a $50 million wrongful death lawsuit against the Moab City Police Department, two officers, and two former leaders. Now, on August 12, 2021, body cameras captured a traffic stop in which two Utah Moab police officers pulled Petito and her boyfriend, Brian Laundrie, over. Petito is seen crying uncontrollably. She has cuts on her face, and the officers knew of a 911 call in which a witness claimed to have seen laundry hitting Petito and trying to steal her phone. I've been thinking about this today, and I wanted to pose this question to you guys. I want to talk to you about it. It was the policy of the department, if they're called for a domestic dispute, somebody's arrested. So the officer went rogue, did his own thing. He didn't obey the law, didn't uphold the law. He's being sued, and I believe rightfully so. Do you think, or have you heard, is he being sued personally? Or will he be sued personally after this? Do you think he should be liable personally for this? Do you think that if Brian Laundrie was arrested at that time, do you think that would have made a difference? Or would he have unalived his girlfriend later at a later date? These are questions I have for you. Phone number is 325-261-0892. Despite all this, the officers split the couple up for a night and then ultimately let them go. A couple weeks later, Petito was dead. Laundry left a notebook confessing to killing her. Petito's parents believe the Moab, Utah police could have saved her life had they acted differently. The officers failed to recognize the serious danger that she was in and failed to investigate fully and properly. They did not have the training that they needed to recognize the clear signs that were evident that morning that Gabby was a victim and that she was in serious need of immediate help. The Petito family was particularly moved to take action after the Moab Police Department's independent investigation in January concluded officers Eric Pratt and Daniel Robbins made, quote, several unintentional mistakes, including failing to make an arrest, failing to document Gabby Petito's injuries, and failing to contact the 911 caller who initially reported the alleged domestic violence. That report found it was impossible, though, to know if Petito would still be alive today, Dana, if the investigation was handled differently. Dana. Brian Yanis, thank you for the update. All right, so we're going to move on here.
let me go to the picture. So, no, come on, you. That's the backstory. I'm going to give you this picture here. So, attorney for Gabby Petito's family released a previously unseen photo of blood on her face taken during a Utah domestic violence stop. Let me go ahead and blow this up full screen for you guys. And uh, I'll show you the picture here in a minute. A previously unseen photo of blood on her face taken during a Utah domestic violence stop just weeks before a suspected murder at the hands of her. Her suspected murder? Wow. Come on, guys. Have some stones when you write these articles. At the hands of her ex-fiance, Brian. Laundry. The law firm Parker McConnell first described the existence of the photo in a November 2020 wrongful death lawsuit against the Moab Police Department, which encountered the travel blogging couple on August 12, 2021, after a witness reported seeing laundry hitting Petito and trying to take her phone and drive off without her outside the Moonflower Co-op and organic grocer off the city's main drag. The photo was taken by Petito herself. Shortly before the stop, and it was recovered from her phone, according to the law firm. Here is that picture. I took this, and I ran it through a a program where I altered the color on it. And you can see the scratch very well. And she was on the pass. If she was on the passenger side and he was driving, that would make her left eye right there to him. And you can see how he could reach out and scratch, scratch her just like that. It also looks like she has something, a bump or something on her head, doesn't it? According to the available data, the image was taken 4.37 p.m. at or before the approximate time of the initial 911 call. Police body footage shows Moab police arriving to a stop in the entrance to Archie's Na- Arches National Park about 15 minutes later after this photo was taken. So that's what the police would have seen. They would have seen it on, you can see that Brian has damage on her face and you can see that she has damage on hers. A civil complaint states that Gabby took a photo of her injury, which shows blood across her nose and left eye. She allegedly showed the injury to Moab police officer Eric Pratt the family's attorneys say ignored her and did nothing more to investigate or document the injury. The Moab spokeswoman for the police department said no comment. Her left eye is not facing the camera very well. I have OCD and I was just like organizing something. Sometimes I just have a mean attitude, but I'm not trying to be mean about straightening things up and stuff. So I was just apologizing, but I guess I said it in like a mean tone and he got really frustrated with me and he locked me out of the car and told me to go take a breather, but I didn't want to take a breather because I wanted to get going. We're out, we're out of water. So it kind of made you more upset. <laughs> yeah, it didn't help calm you. It made you more upset. Yeah. And 
And then what happened? And, um, so I, I, our goal was to come here and come refill our water. Are you guys um, living out of the van right now? On travels? Yeah. Okay. Um, and, uh, I'm not going to play so the whole video. Just, really what happened after he locked you out? Until you take a uh, breather. Well, he walked away to go take his own breather. And, but I wanted to sit in the car because all my stuff was in the car. I had to yeah. run my bag. I was working on something at the moment in the car, and he told me to just relax for a second, and I, I didn't want to relax, so I got, got really mad. And, I mean, I don't need to be mad. Yeah, that happens. Then what happened? And, and, then, and then I told him to drive and get water so I don't know about you, but I've heard about this before, about women who have controlling men. And the men train them that, oh, you're the one that has the problem. It's not me. It's not me. You overreact, and that's why we're doing this. You made me do this. And this is the symptoms that she's displaying here. I don't think it's funny. So if anybody's acting like this is funny in the chat, one person particularly, it's not. Think about your choices of what you're saying. There's definite, definite abuse here. Somebody says that her choices contributed to this. That doesn't mean it was her fault. Look at how young she was. She didn't know any better. She'd been in this relationship with this man since high school. That makes your comment ignorant. Does it? Does it mean she was ignorant? Or she made bad choices. Think about these things. It's easy to hide behind a name. Her name is Gabby Petito. Her name was Gabby Petito. What is yours? I see made up names here in the chat. It's easy to say something, not stand behind it when you're behind a name. I'm not upset. I'm just saying it really is. These are living people that are now not alive. Do you have courage? I have courage to talk to you about it. I have a phone number right up there, 325-261-0892, if you have the courage to talk about it, not hiding behind a name on a black and white message board. Just throw away comments. Ha-ha, aren't I funny? Am I mad? No, I'm not. But I'm... I feel emotions. These things matter. These people are not alive. It's not cool to blame the victims. In what world? There's the facts. The police did not do, the policeman that's responsible for this right here did not follow the guidelines of what he was supposed to do. And that's it. Fact. Fact. She is not living. Fact. She didn't take her own life. Midnight caller line. This is Jerry. Who am I speaking with? Hi, Jerry. This is Tessa calling. Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry. I was raised in a domestic violent home, and I for hella sure blame the victims for it. It's such bullshit. 
because women can get up and fucking leave and they don't. And you know what? My mom was a victim and didn't do jack shit. And I was a four-year-old girl and ran to the neighbors and got the police called because I wasn't going to put up with that bullshit in my fucking house. Sorry for the cussing. But it pisses me off when everybody goes, oh, poor, poor, innocent people. You know, my mom finally woke up when her four-year-old... All right, first off, I just muted you. Nobody can hear you. I'm going to ask you to take a deep breath and breathe out slow. Take a deep breath. Breathe out slow. Now, I want to understand you, and I'm not, I'm listening to you, believe me, but I want to listen to you correctly. What are you referring to? Which case that we went over are you referring to? And I know you have a lot of emotions here. Are you referring to the Gabby Petito case or the one about the mother who unalived her children? Gabby Petito not leaving an abusive relationship. She didn't let anybody help her, and she chose to stay. And it's a very unfortunate, and I'm not saying that she had all of the skill set to deal with it, but you can't blame the, the guy is the problem, okay? He's the first and foremost who we should be blaming. Right. But secondly, people have responsibility in their own lives. You don't have to sit there and take it day in and day out. And there are so many women that choose to stay in abusive relationships that hurt their friggin' kids beyond belief. You're and I know right. it for a fact from my own kids. My own kid has a friend whose husband beats the shit out of her day and night. And you know what? I can't even call the police about it because she won't leave. And when the kids are taken and put into foster care, their, their lives could become even more of a hell than they're dealing with at home. I mean, this is just a problem. And we need to stop telling women that it's okay to just cower in a corner. They need to stand up and be brave and be strong. You're right. And this is something we need to talk about. So do you think Gabby Petito did not have children? And I don't disagree with you. So let me give that to you. I don't disagree with you at all. I just want to understand more clearly. She didn't have children. She was there with on her own and it could be that later she would. So do you think that is a little bit different than you talking about a parent or a mother who's being domestically abused and her children also? Jerry, can you hear me? I do now because I unmuted you, you. This is a back and no, forth, so, so I can talk. I mute it sometimes. Go ahead. No, I absolutely agree with what you're saying, but no, hell no. My mother was 19 years old. She had me at 18. Mm-hmm. She was 19 when, I mean, she was four years older than 18. So, you know, I was four when this was going on. I mean, I was younger than four when it was going on. I watched it for a few years. So it was going on when she was 19, 20. I finally got a voice and, and, and took care of it myself at four. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I personally, I guess maybe I'm a different breed than most people, but I don't put up with that bull crap. And I never have put up with it. I had a boyfriend in college that tried to pull that shit on me. And I friggin' left the situation. That women are not being raised to be strong and say, there's signs that lead up to it. It, is, it doesn't happen that you're just killed in one night most of the time. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's a different breed. But usually the, it leads up gradually. You have to nip it in the butt from day one and walk away. You know, you get manipulated with, uh, oh, poor me, I didn't mean it, I won't do it again. You know, we need to start telling women, no, if somebody exhibits that behavior even one time, it's, it's too much. You walk away at that point. But once you're in a full relationship for years and years, it's much harder. And I'm not, I understand 
that when you're in it, you're manipulated and whatnot. Believe me, I understand that. But that's why I'm saying for educational purposes, I honestly get sick of everybody saying all the time, oh, no, poor them. They're the victim. Well, why don't we start educating them and teaching them the signs to walk away at the second it's exhibited? Just walk away. It's game over. You're right. I'm sorry you and, went and through that. And that's why I get upset with it because oh, it, yeah. it hurts these, the kids. These are upsetting. A, these stories are a very lot, upsetting. And, you know, this, was, this was awful what happened to this individual, but there are so many families that look functional on the outside where this is going on in the house with the kids, and, there's, and it gets repeated when they grow up. I mean, it's just awful. You should hear the things I hear from my poor son who has a friend who's dealing with this at his house. And it's like the schools know about it and they don't do anything. And the mother is like, you know, well, I can't do anything. Even I said something to her. Even people see her at the market with a black eye. And it's like you intervene. And then, you know, you hear the stories also what happens to the kids when they're pulled into foster care and then they're raped by some freak pedo. I mean, I don't know. This is just such a vicious cycle going on. We all need to just start saying no at the beginning of it so that there's no kids and there's no, you know, we can't like just, you know, say it's okay to manipulate people. If somebody touches you incorrectly, even a little bit, even grabs your wrist in an inappropriate way when you're dating, you don't friggin' stay with them. You seem triggered to me. What triggered you specifically? (laughs) You've triggered me because I feel like maybe your comments about who was commenting was me and I was commenting. What's I don't your, think this. I don't know. What's your real name on? What's your What's your name in chat? Tn. Ten. I'm Tessa. I'm Tn. Tn. I, I didn't even know. Yeah. No, it wasn't about you. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. But, but I didn't but think no, it was. No, I, I applaud you for calling. This is what I'm talking about. So you were triggered yeah, because you were mad at me for what I said. No, I'm not mad. I mean, because I saw triggered, it growing right. up. So I know. Thank God, my mother woke up. When her four-year-old got her husband put in jail, she realized, oh, my God, I need to divorce this man. You were talking really and fast about that, so um, explain it to me again. How did you do that at four years old? I ran outside and started screaming in the neighborhood. Okay. I was, you know, she was being dragged across the couch, had blood all over her legs. And grabbed by her long hair, she looked like Cher, and my dad was like 5'10", and he was, and you know, he wasn't, he's not a bad guy. And I can honestly tell you that my mother can like poke people when, so I mean, when the normal people look at it, they'll be like, well, you know, she said stuff. And you know what? She, she took a person that, that was, you know, he had a, had an alcohol problem, a drug problem. She took him at a bad time. You know, and he the, the the reason it happened was she was supposed to protect the rent money when he drank, and then he wanted it when he was drunk, and then she said no, and then he took her by the hair to drag her around the couch. But as a kid, all I saw was scary shit. Um, excuse my language. I was just like, this is terrifying. And I ran outside screaming and went and knocked on the neighbor's door. And I told the neighbor, I'm really scared, and the neighbor called the police, and and the the whole neighborhood was like applauding me because I intervened. Everybody knew what was going on. All the adults knew. Everybody knew. You could hear her screaming. It took a four year old to, to end the situation. So how much fault do you think is on Gabby? 
The fault on Gabby is not is the fault. Not How much? Dead. I'm trying to understand she has this. No fault. She has no fault for being killed. That is not her fault. She did not kill herself. What is for every young person, whether it's a male or a female, is that we need to be taught like you you can protect yourself. So it's kind of like, are you at fault if you go to the edge of a cliff and you fa accidentally fall off? Are you at fault? That was an accident, right? So she maybe made bad choices that led to something that became bad. I, I mean... You think it's possible that since they were in a relationship for some time, maybe Brian groomed her since that was her first relationship that she was used to it. But this is where also parenting and, and just your own sense of core self comes in. Like there's just stuff people shouldn't put up with and they should know about this early on. Like you don't put up with this. This is not okay. Would you be willing you know, to listen I, I, to someone who had a different opinion than you about this? Yeah, I mean, I'd be willing, but I mean, I know a lot about it from from multiple aspects. And, and I do know that the women that get abused, they call them enablers. Hello. I mean, a lot of the ones that stay for years, you it's like the Al-Anon for, you know, for every drug addict, there's somebody who enables them. And there's a point where we have to be even. We have to have strong people. If you're going to be in a relationship, you need to be, you know, able to have boundaries. And I, I mean, maybe people are getting in relationships too young. Maybe this is one thing Asian culture has going for it that Western culture doesn't. They wait till they're a little bit older to start having relationships. Maybe you're not ready for a relationship if this is what you're going to accept. Thank you for giving me your opinion. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate your yeah. calling in. Okay. Okay, sorry. I didn't mean to. I hope I didn't piss off anybody. I just, I know that I have said no many a time and gotten myself because I became attracted as I, when I, you know, reached a, you know, college age to that type of guy. And then, but I started to understand what happened to my mom, but I immediately said, hell no. There was no way I'm putting up with that ever. It's just not going to happen. And if you walk away early, they don't, they're not the way, they get psycho once they got you under their control. I had a girlfriend who had a boyfriend that was doing that crap to her. And I was like, what the hell are you doing? And she just, you know, she played very weak and just, she, she sort of liked that attention. It was disgusting to me. I mean, I, she was an enabler 100%. And it was my best friend. And she had a boyfriend doing that garbage to her. And there, and I used to tell her, you know, don't put up with this. And he hated me. And then she started to get mad at me, you know, because things would go good, but then he would hit her. But it's like, they, they don't want to be helped. That's how I feel. All right. That's how you feel. And I'd like to challenge someone who doesn't believe what you're saying or is on the other side of that. Maybe some of you offended. Maybe some of you I hope offended. that they have experience that they can talk about rather than just an opinion. Right. Thank you very much for calling okay. in. I appreciate it. Uh -huh. I'd like to thank her for calling in. Oh, I got another phone call. Midnight caller line. This is Jerry. Who am I speaking with? Hey, Jerry. This is Dober Mom. Hi, Dober Mom. Hi. Um, so the last caller, all I have to say is ask and you shall receive. All right. 
I am someone who has been in a, it was almost eight years. It was well over seven years of a domestically violent relationship. Um, he was violent towards me. He was abusive towards me, but he knew my trigger was my children. And he knew that even if I would not stand up for myself, I would fight to the death for my children. So he knew never to lay a hand on them. He treated my children better than he treated his own biological son. Having said that, our first date, um, I don't know how to say this. Um, our first date, he took advantage of me, assaulted me. Um, I told him that he lived two hours north of me. I needed a hotel room if we were going to spend the weekend together and that I don't even kiss on the first date, much less anything else. So as I was bent over unpacking my bag, he decided he was going to grab my dress and take advantage. I called my mother crying from the bathroom and told her what happened. And she told me it was my fault that I did not wear jeans. My mother's not the pinnacle of mothers. I just want to point that out, by the way. Um, and that it was my fault. And here's the thing about being a stupid kid with no experience. You believe it. When an authority figure says it's your fault, you believe it. I really think that's what Gabby went through. She had police officers telling her, well, you hit him back. It's your fault. That's where I was at. So I stayed. I, that's, I stayed. My mom told me, he's a good man. He's a good father. You know, you guys have been talking for over a month before you met in person. When has he ever been aggressive towards you? You must have put something out there. It must have been you. Okay. All right. The chat is asking, I believe how, my mom. Old, how old were you? Um, I was 25. I had just gotten out of uh, my first marriage, who was also like, pretty much my first everything. Okay. So I, I, my ex and I are still best friends. The father of my children is who I'm talking about. We were married for almost a decade. I guess I was closer to 26 or so. Um, but we've been married for almost a decade. He had been my best friend since we were 14. Um, like I said, he's still friend, friends with me. And he's actually the person who ended up getting me out of that relationship in a very platonic way. I know what everybody's thinking, but no, it wasn't that. Um, so I stayed with this person because my mom said he was a good man and he'd be a good father to my children. And I trusted my mother. And um, it was just abusive the whole time, the whole way. Um, here we go, seven, almost eight years later. And we got into a fight, not even really a fight. It was more of an argument over how the most cost-efficient way to build a uh, aluminum foundry would be. And I was saying my way would cost like mm, a little over $20. And he was saying, no, it would cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And we had to do it this certain way. And I was saying, no, I've seen YouTube videos. Why don't we give cheapy version a shot? That's what set this all off. And uh, this, I want to mention, by the way, this was a man who prided himself and drinking at least 24 beers a night, sometimes wow. 36. That's blackout. Yes. And he was, 
Yeah, he was well past his 36 limit. And um, I was on my third glass of wine. I will say that. I am a lightweight, but third glass of wine over the entire span of the entire night. And we were well past midnight. And um, I said, you know what? You're drunk and I'm going to bed. And at that point, he decided to do the same thing he did on our first date to prove that he was a man and he was right. And sorry, that's my wonderful husband who would never do anything like that coughing in the background. <laughs> so the story does have a happy ending. But um, that night was one of the darkest nights of my life. Not the darkest, but one of the darkest. And um, he did that to me. And I took a step backwards. And it wasn't this man tells everyone he loves my children more than his own son because my children are well behaved. And my children follow rules and use manners and say, yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and things like that. If he could do that to me, what is he capable of doing to my daughter? And at that point, that was not a question I was comfortable with. And I know I'm training to be a DJ and I'll have to curb this, but I've got to say this one word. Pardon my French, but I got the fuck out. I called my ex-husband and I said, you need to get the kids first thing in the morning. And he goes, what's going on? Are you okay? And I said, no, the kids are fine right now. I just went into their rooms and told them if there's a fire tonight, I need you to pack a bag, one backpack of the things that mean the most to you. And I know it's going to be hard babies. And I'm really sorry to tell you this, but I need you to try to get some sleep because first thing in the morning, we're gone. As soon as your dad gets here, you guys are leaving. You're gone. And my ex rolled up and he goes, look, you know, Nick, we've been best friends since you were 14. I don't know what happened, but for you to call me like this and tell me this, you're in danger. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? I said, you know what? I don't, I don't know. I'm scrappy. But having my mother tell me when I called her for help, gosh, what are you going to do? I guess you could send the kids to a shelter, but where are you going to go? That wasn't an option for me. And that certainly wasn't something I was going to put my children through if he was only harming me. But when the question became, if he could do this to me, what's going to stop him from doing it to my children? That's when it, that's when it turned different. And I feel like that's a thing the last caller missed. Because as soon as it was, what will he do to my children if he's willing to break this one thing he swore he would never do? And he's scared to hit my kids, and he won't, and he never did, and he never has. And I got my son right here telling me, before I made this call, no, he was terrified. He would never lay a finger on us. But he was not afraid to do it to me. When that question came into my mind, instantly, boom, kids need to go somewhere else. And I didn't care if I lived in a homeless shelter, if my kids were with their dad. I didn't care if I never got to see my kids again. I was not going to put them on the line. That's, that's the difference right there. That's the thing. And that is not a position that Gabby was in. That is not her situation whatsoever. She was born in Australia. She was in a foreign country. She had no way to get home. She was with someone she thought she could trust. Granted, recently he had violated that trust. 
but he was in no position to harm her as far as she was concerned, further than that one flare-up that she was told was her fault. She's a kid. She's going to believe that. But yes, I did get out, and uh, my son and I ended up being bunk buddies. We ended up splitting the spare bedroom, or well, it wasn't really a spare bedroom. It was my son's bedroom. We had bunk beds. It was fun (laughs) in my ex's house um, for about uh, two months, and that was while he was engaged with somebody else, and it was strictly platonic, and I got back on my feet, and when it was time for me to move back out and I had my own place, him and his fiance had asked me, could you please stay? You were so useful. You were just, you were a best friend to both of us and you fixed all the plumbing and you worked on our cars. Could you please just stay? And I was like, you know what? I feel like it's going to get weird. Um, Everything's still been like, you know, five by five and like chill, like friendly, but um, I don't want to get in the middle of this. And it it, it feels like that's where it's going to go. I will forever be grateful. I will forever sing your praises, but uh, it's time for me to get my own place and I'll still be best friends with both of you. So that's what ended up happening and everybody was fine, but I just want to be a hardcore promoter of no child support because my ex and I have never played that game. And I think that's what worked for us. <laughs> you know, it was a good point that you made about, I've been rambling. it was a good point that you made about the police officer telling Gabby it was her fault. That uh, She's some, a baby. Some of us didn't catch that. And also yeah, how said, she was you know, talking well, about. Well, you slapped him back. Yeah, yeah. And also how what she was, was she talking about her defaults, about how she had ADHD and it was all her fault. Well, I have autism, but that's that's just something I've had to live with my entire life. And I never let it stop me. I, I do mention it to people. That way they know um, if I'm being any kind of cold or whatever, it has nothing to do with you most likely. And if it does, honestly, I don't have a filter. So I'll probably say it has everything to do with you right now, but you know, it's kind of just a heads up. I give people, it's not really an excuse for anything. And I feel like that's probably what she was doing there. Like she was a baby and she was looking for help and she did do the right thing. She did get police involved. She did tell police the truth and still, they tried to say it was her fault because he hit her and she slapped him back. Like, no, no. Yeah. My son is sitting right here saying that's a terrible police officer. It's a terrible tragedy is what it is. It definitely is. My, I mean, my son's a baby baby and he's saying that's a terrible police officer. (laughs) He's old enough to watch the show, but not so old to where he can go out in the world and make his own decisions or even work a job yet but he for sure is smart enough to know like she was not able to make her own decisions these are some tough topics to talk about I appreciate you guys actually calling in and talking about them no problem I just you know I I'm in the chat and you know I'm very involved and you know I'm very thorough with everything that I I make sure I always cover ass. That's always kind of my thing because I'm autistic. And again, that's a warning, not an excuse. I always put my foot in my mouth. And so I always make sure that I've got a way to like cover ass and not get in trouble. And 
I'm seeing all these women in there that are like, no, and that's not what Jerry's about. Jerry doesn't support domestic violence, and Jerry's not going to blame a victim. And I see that, and I'm like, no, you know what? Maybe it is the autism that's a bonus here, but I'm not going to sit back and just let us all stay quiet yet again. So I'll be the one to put my foot in my mouth. I'll be the one to take the comments. I'll be the one to field the hard questions. But no, absolutely not. That was not her fault. And I really think that any mom who stays, you know, they would say the most dangerous point is after they've left or when they're trying to leave. And maybe the last caller's mom didn't get to a safe place. Baby, I just turned that, that pasta around on the bike. Sorry. Sorry. Um, maybe she wasn't at a point where she felt safe enough to leave with her daughter being safe. And maybe that was in the works and her daughter wasn't aware of it. Maybe she thought her daughter was safe from all of that. And she didn't want to just turn her over to a shelter. Um, I don't know. I don't know that caller's situation. It could have been the total opposite. And that caller could have been in dire straits. Well, I don't the, know. The caller, and if that's the case, the caller, I'm very sorry. The caller had some kind of experience, that's for sure, that she told us. But here's something I want to bring up real quick. And I'm bringing up the picture of Gabby uh, right here because I want people to look at it. Uh, and this is, this is what yeah. brought this to me today is you see um, see the look in her eyes. And, and it's easy for us to say, well, it was her fault. Based on our own no experiences. Offense. But how... Hold on a second. How many of us have, how many of you out there, and I'm sure some of you have, but have you had the experience where you were completely broken, completely devastated to the point where you couldn't think straight and didn't know what to do? Like the pinnacle of your life was destroyed. This has happened to me several times. And it's hard to say what you would do when you're in that position. Right. How are you going to find your way home even? That's where this poor girl was. And that's where I was when I was in my situation. You know, I tried calling my parents and finding my way back home. And I had a pageant mom growing up. She would just sell my face to whoever would put it in a catalog. I know that's not everybody's situation. But when I called my mom, she goes, gosh, I don't know what you're going to do, Nick. Are you going to put the kids in a shelter? Uh, No, I'm definitely freaking not. God knows what's going to happen to them in one of those places. No, I'm not but I'm going to get away as soon as I can. And if that's my only option at that point, that scared the crap out of me. It wasn't until the next morning I was thinking, you know, I guess not even the next morning. It was a couple of hours later when I called my ex-husband. I was like, you got to come get the kids. Just, just take them. I know we have 50, 50 custody and we don't do child support. I don't want that. Just take them, just take them. And it took a little bit for that to like kick in and like make sense for me to where I was able to do that, but it did happen within like a couple of hours and I was able to do that. I just, I really hope, you know, the first thing, again, pardon my French, when this picture came up, when we were waiting for the live stream, again, pardon, my husband looked at her and he goes, who the fuck hit that little girl? That was the first thing he said when he saw that picture Mm -hmm. and he was angry. And he goes, why are you watching this? And I said, no, it's, it's Jerry. It, she's she's going to get some justice. You know? And he goes, oh, okay. And he kind of gave me a face, and I said, honey, she's dead. 
and his whole face just deflated. But the first thing my husband caught when he saw that picture right there woven into that collage was who the fuck hit that little girl? Come on. You're going to tell me a cop doesn't see that too? This was right before she was stopped. Yeah. She was looking, she was there sitting in the passenger side. This is on her left-hand side and you couldn't see it very well, but they saw it. They saw it. She got out of the car and was walking around the car. They were talking to her. I know she was crying. You can see she's still crying in that picture, but you can very clearly see somebody hit that poor girl on the side of her face right in her freaking eye. You're at that point. And she weighed what more than a little bit more than a buck ten. You're at that point where, where someone has you out in the middle of nowhere. Um, you're completely devastated at this point. You feel like your brain's going to explode. Some of these people here are going through that. Some some people are going through it now, maybe. And you, you know, you look back at yourself and you you see when you're in this position. And some of us could say, "Well, I've, I've been through that point, but I was fine after that." But what if somebody took advantage of you when you were in that position? The maybe the person that put you in that position continued and was taking advantage of you when you were at your broken point. Can I just stop for a second, Jerry, real quick? Go ahead. If anybody is going through that situation, there are hotlines you can call. There are numbers in women's bathroom mirrors. I know from experience, and if you text BRAVE to 741-741, there is someone you can talk to without actually having to speak and be heard and caught. Someone can help you. Please reach out for help. Do not just assume you can handle it yourself. And if you are in a place and your children are in a place where you can get away or you have any, even if it's not the same place, you can go and be safe. Please reach out to somebody. Do not just assume it's going to be okay and someone else will take care of it. That's all I want to say about that. Please reach out for help if you need it. Again, that number was 741741. Is that correct? Yes. And in all caps, text and brave. And you can text someone to help you, even if you cannot speak to them. All right, I'm putting that in the chat. Right and I know now. there's a lot of girls. Yeah, I've, I've done it in the chat already, too. I know there's a lot of girls that are really afraid of what if he hears me. I, it's really bad, and I don't care what happens as long as we get out of here. But what if he hears me in the bathroom? What's going to happen to me then? Or is he going to take my kids? Or is he going to hurt my kids if he hears me on the phone with help? Text it. Text BRAVE in all caps to 741-741. And someone can text you and send help discreetly. Please, please do not leave it up to, I hope it'll be okay. That's never anyone's best option. Thank you very much for calling. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, Jerry, for listening. And to the previous caller, I know I said, ask and you shall receive. I hope you understand as a mom where I'm coming from. And I know your, your experience is probably different than my children's. My children were never touched or harmed by my ex, but I really hope that you can find peace and you can find strength in your situation as well. And that it can help you to help other people. I really do. And I think that that's probably the best thing you can do with that kind of trauma. So I'm sending love and good vibes your way. And I really hope that you can find your peace within yourself and know that it's not your fault. And you did help. 
Thank you very much. Appreciate it. No problem, Jerry. Thank you so much for having me on the show, and I'm going to keep keeping up with the chat. All right, thank you. All right, bye. That was the Dober mom, everybody. And I tell you, it, it gets even worse when children are involved. That is no joke. I feel both sides of this, both the previous callers. And I know there's a lot of women in here who have gone through that in their life. And I know there's a lot of people that are broken and battered and bruised and you've been set back in your life. And I know that for a fact, probably most of the people in here, these are not easy things to go over. I appreciate you guys talking with us here, talking with me. That's what the show's about. It's a conversation with you. I've got another story I want to go over. This was a little bit devastating to me today. I'm not going to lie. No reason to. Um, I'll play this video for you. This this was released from Xana's family, I believe. Xana Kernodal. And the whole Idaho 4 thing is very sad. Very sad. Every aspect of it. But the thing that's really been pulling at my heart lately is Xana's family, her mother, her father, her stepmother, so involved in very bad things and drugs and, and going through the court system. Uh, this, this girl's a miracle that she was as far as she was in life. And, uh, this video that I want to go over here, just to me, it kind of speaks to that a lot, what she went through, where she was going. And the devastation we're all feeling from her loss. There's a video, and then after this, I have something that her sister wrote about her, an essay. It's the video of her being happy. I'll replay it. Shortly before the murders... for you now this was what her sister posted an essay that she wrote for school back in October it was about an object of value in her life and she talked about these converse shoes that her dad bought her when she was when she started high school and how she always kept and wore them even though they were really worn out she said that it was a tradition for graduates to throw their shoes over a telephone pole by the off-campus houses they lived in, and that it signified their time living in that house. When she graduated next year, though, she'd throw those shoes, and it would mean something else for her, because it signified the last eight years of her life and all her accomplishments in that time. It symbolized her growth, but also reminded her that she was still the same kid when she first got those shoes. This video captures that kid perfectly, happy, in love with life, just enjoying the moment. Throwing those shoes was a heartfelt memory she was excited to make. She'll never get to do that, and it breaks my heart. But I hope somewhere her friends or family does that for her when the time comes. I think she would have loved that.
I'd like to thank all of you for tuning in to another edition of Midnight Radio. We'll be back tomorrow at 5 p.m. I appreciate you guys, and I especially appreciate everybody that called in. It's what we're here for. It's important to hear other people talk about issues that are important to us, and they have different viewpoints than we have. Don't live a closed life. Don't live a closed world. Open up. It's important. Live your life. Let people in. Listen to what they're saying. Stop and really listen to them. We'll be back tomorrow. I have Susan in the chat complaining about voicemail. And look, I forgot to have polls today. Oh, well. Thank you guys for calling in. If you're interested in becoming a member, you like our content, there's a, a link. Hit the join button and it will let you know what your options are. Until next time, good night, God bless, and all my best.